And I'm going to start the show off with a big old plug. Uh, Mark used to make fun of me for always plugging Colcoa, the City of Light, City of Angels festival, but that is coming up once again. And uh, French it, movies. French, French movies. French movies in L.A. Uh, and in fact, you and Mark and I have all been on the jury yes. in the past. And I, uh, I moderate events almost every single year, and I just absolutely love this. So anyway, that, uh, that begins uh, next week. And uh, it begins on Monday the 23rd and will run through, uh, gosh, what is it? Is it the uh, 30th? goes all the way through the 30th at the Directors Guild of America on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. If you're around, come on down. Get some tickets. See some good movies. Uh, I'm going to be moderating events uh, on the 24th and the 26th, I believe. Uh, i got to lock that down uh, a little bit. But, uh, yeah, gonna be, uh, I'm going to be moderating the Meet the Delegation. Yeah. And then uh, also going to be doing a thing with Melanie Laurent, who has a new film. She, great actress. Of course, everybody knows her from, from her, her films, but she's also a filmmaker and a very, very good director. So uh, I've got a couple of things at Colco. It's going to be a good week. Good week next week. Uh, and then uh, in the meantime, uh, we're also looking down the line at uh, summer movies. And uh, how do you think the how do you think Infinity War is going to do? Oh well, you know, I, well money wise, it's going to be fine. I, I, as a film, though, I don't know. I, the more I look at that big trailer, so here's the question: uh, Black Panther is now third highest grossing mm. domestic film in history. It passed Titanic. It's now only behind Avatar and uh, Star Wars: The Phantom uh, mm. or uh, Star Wars: The Force awakens yeah so those are the only uh those are the only films ahead of it it is now officially the most successful marvel film ever does that bode well or poorly for infinity war does that mean that it's going to carry over to infinity war and push infinity war into the stratosphere uh does infinity war still have to deliver mm. uh or does infinity war have to be have to be at least as good yeah. or otherwise it's a failure yeah you know. or or are people now just uh, or does it steal some of infinity wars thunder are people going to feel like yeah i got my marvel fix for the next 12 months i'm kind of done uh i don't need to see them all do that i've seen the avengers do their thing before because uh, black I, panther was fresh yeah whenever i think that though i turn out to be wrong yeah uh, my i'm just curious I, I have no idea i have absolutely no idea and i have no opinion i think i think any of those are possibilities I, I feel the same thing about the uh you know all of the continuing releases of the very various different Star Wars movie. For me, yeah. there's a diminishing return. Oh, here. man, is there you ever. Know, you know, solo at con. And I'm like, you know, but I'm not, I'm not hyped to see, I'm not all that hyped about Infinity Wars. Yeah. Right? Um, I mean, I get it. It's fine. I'm not really that kind of a fan anyway, but there is a time, definitely. The first Iron Man, Dude, yeah. I was goofy to go see that yeah, movie. Yeah, same here. You know, same here. Uh, Black Panther, a film which I thoroughly enjoyed for a whole lot of reasons, but I know that there was a whole lot going on in the culture that had to do with that yeah. too. Good movie, certainly a very, very good and movie. Let's let's give them credit; they marketed that thing beautifully. Yeah, like let's let's uh, honestly, a lot of these movies are are all about the marketing. If you look at those top, the, 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 let, let's just take the top four that we were just talking about. Okay, Titanic doesn't really need any any promotion. It's about the Titanic. Yeah. The title alone sells it, and of course, it came with Cameron as a director who was a celebrity yeah. director. In 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 in, in straight up, yeah, yeah. straight up, Avatar. Okay, and Star Wars that goes without saying. It's 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 back. It's you know it's been decades. That just made all kinds of sense. But Avatar was purely sold by the marketing. It's 3D. It's Cameron. It's sci-fi, and they they just pumped that thing. They hyped the hell out of it forever, and it was not a very good movie. But it but the hype carried it. Black Panther. 
similar, but it's a good movie and heavily hyped. Mm-hmm. But they introduced the character in whatever it was. The one, in, the one in, right in, before, yeah. In the in the Captain America film. Yeah, the yeah. second Captain the last Captain America. So so you know, you you introduce the character, you tease people, so now they want to know more, which was like it was just that was a, a that was like a plug buried inside a, another another Marvel movie. It was brilliant. And then of course, uh, you, you don't need the celebrity director Ryan Coogler, yeah. um, who you know a noted director Fruitvale yeah. and, and what that, but not a celebrity director, but yeah. in a certain way a celebrity director, right? Yeah. Because he's this young black man, first one to do that, all yeah, that kind of sure. stuff like that. So there's a certain amount of celebrity that's not necessarily attached to yeah. his name. Um, and then, uh, you know, they, uh, a really good script. Yeah. You know, just and a, and a great good. supporting you cast. Know, great, too. You know, all, it's all yeah. the way around. Good, so good, so good work. Now, so the question will be Infinity Wars. Will they be resting on the laurels of the, uh, everybody gets their joke. Everybody gets their moment. You know how, yeah. when, when you get these big movies, right? And uh, it becomes a battle of that. That wasn't going on in Black Panther. Uh, obviously, they need to maintain all those character tensions that have carried over, right? You, you, you got to have Cap and Iron Man still having their little deal. Because mm-hmm. uh, they're far and away the two most interesting ca- Like, I don't really care what Hawkeye does. He could shoot a few no, arrows. It's, it's meaningless to me. Yeah, Hawkeye. Uh, for just Scarlett Johansson, just wear the black outfit, ride a motorcycle, do a few backflips. I don't care. Yeah, just, that's, really, that's, yeah. that's all I need you to do. But I need Captain America and Iron Man to, to butt heads that's hulk is angry hulk is angry and uh you know thor still speaks like he's in a shakespearean play and makes fun of people so that's all fine and dr strange will do whatever he does but uh but yeah ultimately i think thanos is Mm. gonna matter it uh, what josh brolin brings to thanos we have just hyped him we saw it's been what eight years since they teased him at the end of that first avengers film yeah and then we're obviously getting thanos's daughters in the guardians of the galaxy that's gonna matter too how that folds in so all the all that has to work so anyway we'll uh we're we're gonna have an interesting uh summer season it's a lot a lot of things in the mix i'm really looking forward to ant-man the next day oh yeah 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 uh for one thing love me some paul rudd yeah he's he's and the idea of the wasp the wasp wasp right there but paul rudd is is like this accessible uh he's the one who i feel like i if i had if i were one of these Mm -hmm. you know guys i I wouldn't be the black panther king no (laughs) they'd kick me out of what kind what are you no get out of here uh uh, tony stark billionaire no no good for that uh captain america i'm not that earnest that ant-man guy i could be him you know i could be just some dude in the ant-man suit uh, doing his thing. That that's 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 my superhero. And speaking of Paul Rudd, and we'll get into the uh, we'll get into into DVDs here in a moment. But did you see the music video that Jimmy Fallon and Paul Rudd did for for tonight's show? Did you see this? I don't think that I did. they they they. It's the this the most bizarre thing in the world. Okay, so in 1980s, a lot of good music. If you're if you are a child of the 80s, as as I am, as we are, yeah. okay, you may remember there was a band called Go West. Oh yeah, and they had a hit called "The King of uh, King of Wishful Thinking." King of Wishful Thinking. And it's a fun video, but that song and that video faded away. For whatever weird reason, Jimmy Fallon and Paul Rudd, also being fans of the <laughs> era and children of that generation, said, "Hey, let's remake that video." frame for frame <laughs> character for character shot for shot let's just remake the whole thing and put ourselves in the, and they did and it is the, i i urge you go look up the video <laughs> the original video of king of wishful thinking and then watch the jimmy fallon paul rudd recreation of it it is the funniest thing in the world it is and they it, it's straight up straight 
They play it straight. They <laughs> just do crazy. shot for shot, dance move for dance move. Everything is the same, except knowing that it's Jimmy Fallon and Paul Rudd, it just <laughs> makes it so hopelessly hilarious. And it's such an obscure song to to go and and resurrect. I I'm just amazed. Anyway, all right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna dive in uh, head first here. I've got uh, uh, four anime titles. Uh, don't want to let the anime pile up as I have in the past. So four, an- well, three anime titles. Actually, let me take it back. Uh, all anime related stuff. So two of them are uh, live action ish. Two are anime, but it's the world of anime. So. Uh, we're going to dive into this, and then I'm going to talk about something that is not anime, but uh, which which uh, kind of links us over to new movies. Because I just, I truly don't know. I just, I can't. I don't. I don't know. You'll see. You'll understand in a moment. Uh, so for starters, the straight up anime stuff uh, is. Let's see. The first one here. Is, they're both sente from uh, section twenty three. The first one is uh, Urara Meroko. The complete collection, twelve episodes. Uh, this is uh, kind of uh, this is one of those pixie type shows. It's magical, it's fantastical, but it's geared towards younger kids. And I'm actually starting to uh, wonder if I shouldn't maybe expose my daughter to some of this because I mm. think she, I honestly think something like this she may actually enjoy because it's got, uh, you know, that the, Meroko is the town here. And the uh, Chia is the C H I Y A is this little this cute little. Uh, kind of wood woodling nymph character and um it's it's about it's just this this cool little world with these you know with the little the the cool little people and the creatures and I want to I want to say it's like Dusty's Treehouse but nobody will know what I'm talking about if I say <laughs> Dusty's Treehouse because uh, that's a Saturday morning show from a million years ago that has completely gone away everyone's going to go google Dusty's Treehouse now and you're going to be terrified that I even mentioned it so never mind um anyway she's looking for her mom it's a quest for mom and uh, it's just these cute girls with the big eyes and uh, and cute outfits, and I actually kind of think there's something very charming about it. Agen Demi Human uh, is twelve episodes and two movies on three discs of something that is definitely not for kids. Uh, this skews very very dark and very very adult. It is unbelievably animated. This is just such intense animation. Um, and and you see why they would dovetail from an episode from a, a thirteen episode show into two movies because it just it's it has a cinematic dimension to it. So uh, anyway, this is a sequel. This is technically Agent Demi Human Two. I am not familiar with the first one. Don't feel like you even need to know anything about it. Um, this is all espionage and spies and assassins and uh, all set against a, a really uh, creepy apocalyptic backdrop. Um, it is, uh, there's, a, there's also a, a concept here that I don't quite understand where he sort of, like, he can, he can personally generate black, uh, black matter. And um, anyway, it, you'll understand. It's a, it's a really a fascinatingly dark world that they've invented and uh, a lot of great twists and turns, really well written, unbelievably well animated. And uh, it's it's mystical and it's it's cool. It's like I don't know. It's like Mad Max meets uh, Lord of the Rings in in uh, in a James Bond environment. I don't know. There's there's no way to really do justice to it. A lot of really cool special features here. Um, the uh, the opening animation without the uh, without the the, the credits. Uh, it's uh, really really you, you you just you can appreciate the the, the stature of the animation. It's really tremendous. 
We've talked about Garo in the past. We've got another Garo here, uh, which is live action, but of course uh, part of the anime world, Red Requiem. Uh, it's like a notch uh, beyond Power Rangers, and it is it, it gets pretty intense at times. Uh, it, it feels almost cheesy Power Rangery until it gets really, really dark and intense, and then you, you realize it's not for kids. Uh, the, the whole Garo thing, this is from Kraken Releasing, which definitely lives up to its billing. Uh, yeah, I, only if you're a Garo fan. If you're already initiated into this world, you'll, you'll want to check this one out. Otherwise, it'll, it won't make much sense to you. Uh, Jintama is a live-action thing now. It's, li- it's, it's live-action in a really anime kind of way. There is just CGI to the... They, they cgi this to the nth degree. We're doing a lot of these things now in Japan where they are doing these live-action adaptations of anime stories, but they're doing them in a really exaggerated acting style with really exaggerated costumes and lots of CGI. So it's really almost not even live action it still has one foot still in the animated world um this is of course a uh, this is the we've talked about this in the past this takes place in feudal japan where aliens have invaded and it's just you know samurai have to submit to the aliens it's just a whole weird alternate universe thing but um it it lends itself to live action in a really curious way and there are a lot of these kind of tongue-in-cheek um uh, uh anachronistic quasi-dramatic, pseudo-comedic samurai things that, that uh, are part of, they're like part period and part genre in, in, Japanese, uh, in Japanese cinema. The Legend of Zipang is one, was one of the first ones and certainly one of my favorites. If you've never seen Legend of Zipang, you've got to see it. It's got a ninja who actually has to jam his hand into his chest cavity and break off one of his ribs because he has some kind of a device hidden inside one of his ribs. It's just so insane. It's, <laughs> truly, it's, it's amazingly cool. So um, anyway, this kind of falls into that world. Uh, this is Jintama. It all originated as a manga, it should be pointed out. So it's gone from manga to anime to live action. All right. Tim, um, we're now going to talk about new releases. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm go. gonna, to start with a movie that has no business existing. Absolutely no business existing. I had to review this on Film Week. I am just bedeviled by the fact that this is a thing. It's Surge of Power, Revenge of the Sequel. Now, let me, let me set the table here. <laughs> there was an original movie called Surge of Power about yeah. 10 years ago. And there's this guy who is not an actor and he is not a filmmaker. Uh, He's he's an attorney. Yeah. And he's a gay attorney. And he's an attorney who decided, and he represents, a, I think he does mergers and acquisitions or something, made a lot of money. But he decided there, there needs to be a gay superhero. And they're not giving me a gay superhero. So I, the wealthy gay attorney with lots of wealthy clients, yeah. I'm going to go out and I'm going to make my own movie about a gay superhero. Yeah. And uh, We're okay th- th- thus far, by thus the way. Far, thus far, we're okay. Thus far, we're solid. I'm fine with this. Yeah, I, I'm really fine with this. It's uh, we're, we're we're good so far. Good decision making so, so far. Yeah. So uh, he goes out and he makes his movie. He he calls in a lot of favors and he somehow you know convinces people who have no business being in a movie in this movie to be yeah. in it. The problem is, he's a 
terrible actor and filmmaker. Yes. He is terrible. Now we now, now the decision making's not so good anymore. I have but somehow it, it did well enough that he, you know, went and, and worked as an attorney for another ten years or whatever and then uh, came out and did Surge of the Sequel. And uh, it's just dreadful. Uh, yes, I get it. Nichelle Nichols shows up, and Eric Roberts is in this thing as the devil, and and it makes no sense why any of these people should be in it. And the whole idea is that you know he he's fighting his evil rival, who's very Lex Luthor like, who also can't act, and somehow he's able to put. He, he goes to Comic Con, and he he gorilla. Just he he completely photo bombs, video bombs all of these celebrities at at Comic Con, and then cuts their tidbits in. Yeah, and then the ones that he can't photo bomb at Comic Con, somehow he convinces them to do riffs on their own persona. Like Red Brown yeah. is in this thing, basically riffing on when he played Captain America. Now that's going to make yeah, TV, yeah. Uh, yeah that's going to make no sense to anybody who doesn't remember the night whatever it was the 1991 <laughs> or 88 Red Brown television Captain America. If if that is off your radar and it's off the radar for all but about seven people, Red Brown showing up and making all of these in these tongue in cheek jokes about Captain America is going to mean nothing to you. Yeah. But it obviously means something to somebody anyway. Surge of Power: Revenge of the Sequel does not warrant the conversation that we have just had. I'll just tell you who else shows up in this thing. Uh, Robert Picardo, yeah. so embarrassing. Uh, Gil Gerard and Linda Blair play play the the parents of the uh, of the the, the villain. <laughs> and uh, plainly, he has represented and they done worked, well for these people. They worked for a day. They something. sat there and they 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 worked for a day, and, and like, it's covered in like three shots. They're just on the phone trying to talk their son out of being a villain again. Yeah. It's just dr- dreadful. And Lou Ferrigno and Bruce Valance show yeah. up. I don't know. It's hey, look, yeah. It's on Blu-ray. All of these people are into the will the paycheck clear, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, period of, of yeah. their careers, and you know that that happens to all of us. I just <laughs> I, I don't know what to make of this movie. Anyway. Uh, but there it is. Uh, they work. So anyway, I have these lovely four movies uh, they here away that have this particular thing uh, in common, which <laughs> uh, uh, which is interesting. This used to be. A a big deal back in the early 90s it was a big deal but on every one of these covers every one of them are sort of hard-boiled uh, you know movies about yeah. mostly men uh doing stuff and they're all standing there with guns yeah on the cover of the dvd with slash blu-ray box jason momoa yeah. there with a gun then you got taraji uh p henson with that gun you got uh uh cameron damian dash guns bruce willis and cole hauser guns uh, on the cover of these boxes of these movies, which I'm going to talk about here in a second, but that in and of itself is a thing. Yeah, because uh, you and I are—you've been around long enough to remember when that was a deal. Yeah, uh, uh, and and, uh, and people talk about that, particularly when they were putting, uh, you know, black folks that looked a little gangy. Yeah, <laughs> a little gangish AFM. with guns. Tons of those at AFM. Oh, uh, uh, there, was, there was a whole—it was a whole thing there for yeah. a while. What was the trespass? Was the name of the oh, film? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That was the real sure. big deal about it. But anyway, and uh, now it's a pretty ordinary thing. Generally speaking, when you see it, though, the movie is. Is just about as interesting as the cover. So what we have here is Honor Up from director Damien Dash. You're saying to yourself, I didn't know Damien Dash was the director. Well, you know, yeah. nah, neither did Damien. Um, <laughs> Damien, he knocks off a lot of these movies. Damien is a big old, big old hip-hop producer from yeah. back in the day. Uh, this, though, is executive produced by Kanye West, stars Cameron. All of these are hip-hop guys yeah. from kind of washed up hip hop guys <laughs> uh, <laughs> frankly uh, and this is this is a story about a uh, what a drug dealer 
Uh, that's uh, that's and, novel. And, yeah, and uh, and how he has to do this and has to do that. Whatever. Commentary track with the producer, actor, and director Damien Dash. Y- y- you know what is funny about these movies? They have an audience. Yeah. And that audience gets them and watches them, which yeah. is why this, these movies exist. I sit yep. here and I make fun of them. Uh, but they're, but they know, don't care. No, they don't care uh, because this movie's going to do just fine uh, for the $14 that it costs. Uh, Acts of Violence, Cole Hauser and Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis used to stand on covers like this or on movie posters like this, you know, with that, yeah. with that smirk and that badge and, and, uh, and uh, all of that. Uh, these, and, movies, uh, these movies used to st- – the, the part that Bruce Willis is playing there – Mm. That that used to be Cole Hauser's dad, Wings Hauser. <laughs> yeah, I wrote a Wings yeah. Hauser movie. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, uh, Wings. Yes. Uh, anyway, somebody gets kidnapped. Uh, Bruce Willis, uh, Cole yeah. Hauser. Uh, they go get him. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> uh, there's a there's a 1967 uh, Camaro SS in this movie, and it's the one damn thing to watch. The movie <laughs> violence there. Jason Momoa. Jason Momoa is gonna be uh, who, uh, who's he? Uh, Aquaman. Aquaman uh, coming up. Saw him in one of the movies. Uh, yeah, in, he, in Justice League. Uh, he's so you know he's uh, he's uh, he's not the Aquaman I grew up with. The no. Aquaman I grew up with was a very very nice blonde Aryan gentleman who uh, talked to seahorses yeah. and was very sweet. Had he was not. He was not a, a, a tattooed badass Polynesian dude with <laughs> with a hair who will uh, who, who you know who mostly does stuff on land. There's <laughs> <laughs> not a lot that happens in the world. Anyway, yeah. in the build up to all of that, Jason knocked out two or three films. You know, because yeah. why the hell not? Yeah, uh, get paid for a little while. This Don't is one of it. those. Uh, anyway, uh, what the I like I like Jason Momoa. Well, he's, I do. He, he's a fun guy. I, Actually, he was in a great series. One of the uh, one of the series that, from the Stargate universe. There are yeah. a whole bunch of series in the Stargate universe films, yeah. uh, and he was really uh, good in one of those. For if he time. can, uh, honestly, it, you know, we've we're, we're in a moment now where we lost our action heroes of the 1980s. You yeah, remember big we muscle had, guys. You know, Stallone and Schwarzenegger and a few and, other ones. And, and some Bruce, ancillary, some ancillary ones. And Bruce Willis yeah. and and Van Damme and the certainly second, Chuck and. and, and, and Chuck, Some of them those, were martial arts, but all not the all guys of them. who are in the uh, the Expendables yes. movies now they all faded away, and there was nobody that really took their place. We kind of lost that. Like Tom Cruise is maybe the only one who's still around, yeah. but we've kind of moved to a new place. Dwayne Johnson is doing it now. Yeah, yeah, he's doing it. He's yeah. the only one. I think that Momoa could enter. That he, he could, might he take up step, a slot, you know. You know li- look, Liam Neeson is 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 still doing these things. He's now Liam, almost seventy. Liam Neeson, is, yeah. And so, John Cena decided to go with comedy, which was a good choice. Good choice, uh, rather than just knocking guys out for sure. Uh, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, who was always really funny, decided yeah. to go with knocking guys out, and he's gone. Yeah. Uh, so go with funny. And Dwayne yeah. Johnson, frankly, did the same thing. He still knocks if, guys out, but he's mostly Mo- funny. If Momoa can learn to be funny, yeah, you know, if he they, can do that, uh, do it, baby. Yeah. Taraji P. Henson, the other, the gal with the gun on this cover, along with the uh, with the, with the uh, wonderful Danny Glover, uh, who we were talking about uh, a little while ago. You know, Danny Glover first saw Danny Glover, paid attention to Danny Glover in a movie called Witness. Yep. Uh, Harrison Ford movie, uh, just wonderful, wonderful movie. Danny Glover has a small part in that movie. Absolutely chilling. And I'm sure I had seen him before. And then, of course, he's in Places in the Sun. Yeah. Uh, where he's John Malkovich, Sally yeah. Field, where he really made his career in that movie. Uh, but that's uh, that's how long I've been paying attention to Danny Glover. He's in this movie, Proud Mary. This movie was okay, but it was um, uh, they made a mistake in the film. And, he, and here's what the mistake is. They did not motivate this hit woman, this this this, this black female hit woman yep. going out taking it. Uh, they they didn't motivate her right. They, this movie should have had more to do with um, something like Gloria, 
Um, uh, and, and I'm talking about the Gina Rollins Gloria. Yeah. I, I think uh, Sharon Stone uh, did one uh, in the uh, middle 90s or something like that. Hers was okay, but that Gina Rollins Gloria was a fantastic movie. Uh, when she ends up with this Puerto Rican kid, and it's, this a, mob it's a great guys movie. are after her, and she knows she's not the motherly type, and it's kind of like yep. she, she likes her mob people actually. But you know, it's a situation where she's not going to let these people kill this kid. Uh, more or less, we get around to what that's what's going on in this different uh, context. But it's uh, Taraji and this kid. But Taraji don't even seem to like this kid. <laughs> you, yeah. you, you know, it's like, and so I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, that's the thing about it. Anyway, special features: Mary's World, the beginning, the end. A look uh, if looks could kill behind the scenes kind of stuff. Uh, proud Mary. So uh, from the sublime to the ridiculous, I'm going to actually start with the ridiculous and then go to the sublime. Uh, new DC Universe uh, movie, this is animated, is uh, Suicide Squad, Hell to Pay, on 4K with HDR. And uh, does, it w- is, does it warrant it, an original, uh, an original DC animated movie on the Suicide Squad in 4K? Does it warrant it? Yeah, it does, actually. Interesting. Looks really, really good. Looks terrific. Uh, Comes with Movie Anywhere for your uh, digital locker. And uh, uh, here's what I like about this. It's better than Suicide Squad. Well, yeah. The narrative is already better. It's, uh, I mean, essentially, yes, there's a whole new, you know, mission that they've got to go off to. And it's it's a whole where, you know, they they get sent by the warden out to put the, the team back together and they introduce a couple of new figures, Copperhead, uh, Bronze Tiger. I'm not really familiar with them as villains. What I liked about this is the um, is uh, uh, Killer Frost fascinates me as a villain. Yeah. Largely because I am a fan, despite all of its flaws, of The Flash. Me too. And so whenever I see Killer Frost, I, I make the connection back to The Flash, yeah. right? Because the, te- the television's The Flash yeah. we're talking about. Television Flash, because Killer Frost is a yeah, big a, deal a there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I, I enjoy that. Of course, Harley Quinn, and uh, you know, it, it's a it, there is something about Suicide Squad that is certainly uh, quite fun. And I think, in terms of the spirit of the comic uh, Suicide Squad, this is more faithful, and it is really well done. So it's a good 4K. It's funny to me that Suicide Squad was always a funnier uh, series, right? Yeah. And in terms of the content of the stuff, the, yeah. the, the quipping, and it was always funny. Yet Deadpool is funnier. Than Suicide Squad, it sure is. Uh, then you know that that, 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 weird? that that previous movie, I just never got that. I'm like, they're not paying attention. And, Suicide Squad should have been that. You got you got Will Smith right here. You know, yeah. he's right there. He does that. Yeah. You know, I mean, he doesn't certainly. He was doing it a long time before Ryan Reynolds started doing yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. It, it just didn't work. Didn't work yeah. at all. Yeah. Well, here's the here's the sublime. The last movie star uh, was starring Burt Reynolds and a little bit of Chevy Chase. So here's here's uh, here's why this is interesting. Um, the Burt Reynolds' career has gone in all kinds of interesting paths. Yeah. And Burt Reynolds was legitimately, legitimately one of the biggest stars in the world for a number of years. Yeah. If you go back to that, that I forget which study it was, which survey, but there was an annual survey, you know, biggest movie star in the world. And that went on for a number of years. And um, it was basically Burt Reynolds and Clint Eastwood trading places year after year throughout the 70s. Uh, and Bert, Bert basically owned that decade. Uh, he he just came out, you know, guns blazing, and um, with you know, uh, Deliverance, every, and then every, Smokey every, and the Bandit. Every genre of movie that you can think of, actually, in, in because the box that they tried to put Bert in, yeah. is that funny uh, Smokey? But no, Sharky's Machine. 
Yeah. I mean, Sharky's Machine is a gritty, hardcore movie, movie, baby, yeah, that, that, that will get you. Uh, and, of course, we forget that Burt made it in every media. Burt was a television star, Dan yeah. August. Yeah. Uh, and, and then came back to television later yeah. in his career. Burt was a evening exceptional shade. evening shade. Burt was an exceptional director. He made a few goofy movies. The with, End. You, the you End know, is yeah. a great movie with Dom DeLuise. Oh, That's so a great funny. movie. So funny. So funny. Uh, and uh, Burt, romantic comedies, Burt, yeah. action movies, Burt, uh, you name it, Burt Reynolds either performed in one yeah. or made one as a filmmaker yeah. in every genre. He was a movie star. He was. And, uh, you know, Bert is now 80, whatever it is. He's 80, 82, 83. He's a hard like 80. He's a hard, hard 80. It's a hard 80s for him. And uh, what Adam Rifkin, whom we've interviewed on this show before, uh, who is a really interesting independent filmmaker. Adam Rifkin is is almost a subversive independent filmmaker because he makes movies that seem to be high concept and then he takes them into these really interesting arty areas. And he does the same thing here. He basically wrote a movie about an aging movie star starring Burt as the aging movie star basically playing himself. Mm. There are aspects of this character that are different from Burt. His background, where he comes from originally, but there are things that are the same. Uh, he played football. Yeah. He, you know, he he had an injury. Uh, and and what Rifkin does that's so smart is, first of all, there are kind of dream sequences here where he goes and he takes moments from Burt's movies, whether it's Smokey and the Bandit, whether it's Deliverance, and he digitally inserts <laughs> old Burt mm-hmm. into those scenes. So that he's actually, so that the lines that are being delivered, that were originally being delivered to, you know, whether it was Jerry, uh, Jerry Reed, or whoever it was, whoever the hell it was in, yeah, whoever was, whoever, you know, uh, Sally Field or or Ned Beatty, whoever it was on the other end of those lines, now he's cut it so that the conversation has a different tenor and it's more meaningful. It's really very clever. And Bert is giving advice to his younger self. He is. It's um, and it's it's really it's really amazing. It's it's a very smart film, and it starts kind of in a, on a on a weird vein where he's invited to a film festival, and it turns out to not really be so much of a film festival. It's just you know it's like a bunch of nerds in a bar who are showing movies on VHS, and he's just insulted. And uh, but then it turns into this road trip where the guy who organizes the festival, his sister, who wants nothing to do with any of this nonsense. Um, winds up on a very poignant road trip with uh, with the character played by Burt Reynolds re- revisiting the, his past. And it takes a total left turn in a way very different from what we talked about last week with Paul Thomas Anderson. Ah, yeah. It's the opposite. It yeah. starts off and you go, this movie is sucking. And then it goes and you go, oh, man, you set me up. Rifkin totally, he like baited me. And then he he went left, and I thought it was going to go right, and now I'm now I'm all teary eyed, and it and it's 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 really very Chevy Chase. Uh, Chevy Chase plays an old buddy. Yeah, you yeah, know, and, and didn't irritate me. Yeah, uh, uh, all of that, you know. It's very um, smart. Father figures, uh, big old comedy. Owen Wilson, Ed Helms, J.K. Simmons, Cat Williams, Terry Bradshaw, Ving Rhames, Christopher Walken, and Glenn Close. Big old movie with a big old cast. My goodness, movie came out. You know, I uh, wasn't looking forward to it. wasn't dreading it. Just went to see it. Look, yeah. it looked like the big old comedy would be. It, you know, so it, it, these two brothers, Owen and uh, and, uh, and and Ed, and uh, they find out uh, that their mom. Uh, was a little loosey goosey back yeah. in the day, and uh, so, so their dad might not be their dad. Their dad might be this other guy, including uh, some of those guys I just mentioned. Um, you know, and they go and they take a road trip. You know, to try to figure out their dad. The, the, the problem with this movie is, is it's actually pretty funny. Um, but this movie has a, a, a conceit at the center of it that bugged me a lot. 
Um, and it had to do with the sort of way that they talked about their mom in the movie, Glenn Close's yeah. character, and the way that she is played in the movie yeah. and all of that, which, of course, has to do with the notion that when she was a young woman, she uh, got around. Uh, thus, we don't know who our father is. Um, I don't have any problem with that. You know, that's all. That's funny to me. But that's that's just funny. The, the way they talk about it and the context in which they put it is what I have a problem with. I don't like it. Uh, uh, they were talking trash about, uh, you know, Glenn Close's character, quote unquote, their mom. Uh, and I don't know. I just don't. You can tell when a movie was written by a bunch of guys, man. Yeah. Uh, uh, because I can guarantee you if one lady. Uh, and I know that Glenn is in the movie and everything, but actors are just working, right? Yeah. They didn't write the thing. They're just working. If one lady had been in the writing room with them and said, yeah. you know, there's a way you can make this exact same movie. Everything can happen exactly the way it happens. And if you change the language in it, women won't hate you. <laughs> uh, but they didn't do it. Anyway, father figures. Uh, not a whole lot on that stuff either. Yeah. Uh, so got a movie here called My Friend Dahmer. Uh, directed by Mark Myers. Uh, this is an adaptation of a graphic novel, and I know, like, who would do a graphic novel about Jeffrey Dahmer? So we all remember Jeffrey Dahmer, the serial killer who, you know, yeah. lured he, young he, men to his apartment, and then he killed them and the chopped them up and froze their body parts and would eat them. And it was mm-hmm. not a, it's not a, it's, you know, and then, of course, wound up getting killed in prison because even convicts yeah, didn't, will not didn't care for that. are going to put up with that. <laughs> yeah, just, 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 uh, you're not one of our people. <laughs> you're giving us a bad name. Uh, <laughs> I'm just a bank robber, dude. <laughs> you know, I don't eat people, man. <laughs> the hell's wrong with you? Um, anyway, so My Friend Dahmer is based on the graphic novel, which is, which is apparently an interesting graphic novel. I'm not familiar with it, but the idea fundamentally is to get inside that moment when Jeffrey Dahmer was in high school and kind of starting to uh, spiral out of control, lose his mind, go off the deep end. Which, of course, uh, often we forget that Jeffrey Dahmer was insane. Yes. We, we talk about serial killer. Well, you know, he did all that because he was insane. He's out of his... Yeah. No, gone. Yeah. Completely gone. You, which, this this gets at a little bit. And this gets at that a little bit. Probably not enough. Uh, it, it, it's, it feels a little too... I don't know. It feels still a little bit too much graphic novel. It, it needed more grit and less graphic. Uh, but uh, it, it's it, it, it's relatively interesting. The thing that's significant about this, for me at least, is that the uh, is that uh, Ross Lynch, who plays Dahmer, yeah. whom I had never seen before and with whom I, I was not familiar at the time I saw the film, uh, he's a Disney Channel guy. Oh, he's, you oh, know, comes yeah. from the Disney Channel, and he is uh, cousins to uh, the, uh, the 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 brother and sister uh, dancers. Uh, Julianne and Derek Huff. Oh, the, oh, really? Yeah, they're cousins. Okay, interesting. Yeah, their their parents are first cousins, so they are second cousins. Second cousins, okay. right? And you know, it's like like, it, but you you know what family you're dealing with? Like his mom's name is Stormy, right? <laughs> so Ross Lynch's mom is Stormy Lynch. If your name is Stormy. You you come from a funky family. Yeah. No wonder you people are all in these movies. Anyway, I think so we know that. <laughs> I saw Ross Lynch and my friend Dahmer, and I thought, all right, this guy's really working it. He's he's giving it giving it his all. He's a good dramatic actor. Uh, I did not realize at the time he was a Disney Channel guy, and that he was a singing, dancing, huff cousin. <laughs> stomping, you know, boy band crazy man, just like everybody else in the family, uh, until I had to see something for Film Week called Status Update, which was just recently in yeah. theaters. 
And Status Update is an absolutely insipid and totally charming movie mm. about a, basically it's a you know you'll, we'll talk about it more when it comes out on on uh, Blu-ray and DVD shortly, which it will. But um, you know it's basically like a, a fantasy in the vein of Big and uh, and uh, a little bit of uh, of the uh, um, good uh, the, the the old Danny Kaye thing, uh, Walter oh, Mitty. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Little Walter Mitty. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a guy, he's in high school, he's a new kid, and, and he, uh, he, he winds up getting an app on his phone that makes his wishes come true, and he starts wishing all kinds of stuff, and he becomes, you know, super popular and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, Ross Lynch sings and dances like a madman in Status Update. He's just, you, you realize this guy's a total star. That's not what you see in My Friend Dahmer. You see the dramatic <laughs> side. So... I am really kind of fascinated by Ross Lynch. He is only 22 years old, uh, and he's he's already on the verge of stardom. He's already been on the Disney Channel. I find him really a compelling figure. So my friend Dahmer, yeah. check it out. Ross Lynch alone is, is worth checking it out. Uh, and then Kickboxer Retaliation. So this is um, the reinvention of uh, Kickboxer, and uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, comes back, plays, you know, a different character here. He's not the kickboxer. Uh, he's, uh, he, he's now he's kind of a background. He's a, he's a referential figure in the, in the movie. Alain Moussi, who is an actual kickboxer, stars here. Uh, and um, the idea is that you've got a, um, a, a, it's all centered around the, you know, when the original kickboxer came out, mixed martial arts was not a thing. MMA was not a thing. The, all that stuff was had not yet sort of blossomed, so it was leading into that. And now that we're in that, they are taking advantage of that. And you, you know, you got a, you got a, this. Now you have a, a case where there's an MMA fighter who's going to go into an underground match against a guy who's just out of his. He's like this huge wrecking machine. He's some kind of a hulking behemoth. And Van Damme and uh, Mike Tyson have to train him how to be the, you know, the guy who can beat the the hulking. Thing. I love it. So Mike Tyson has been really forging a new career in these movies. He's done a number of films in Hong Kong. Yeah. Uh, he did one of the, uh, one of the uh, Ip Man films as well. It was really good in it. Well, you know what I liked about it? It's that Mike got in shape. Yeah. Because you know, I was banging around with Mike around, and Mike had yeah. gotten a little soft. You yeah. Know? Uh, he had this wonderful one-man show going on, and he started to get in shape for that. And for these movies, yeah. Mike got ripped up. That's yep. Iron Mike Tyson, dude. You know? I, uh, here, but here's the thing. People are talking about how uh, Alain Moussi is, you know, like he's a real kickboxer. Let me, let, me, let me just take you back to the original kickboxer. The original kickboxer that starred Jean-Claude Van Damme, it's a, it was a brother story, mm-hmm. if people remember it. And uh, Dennis Alexio is the older brother who's supposed to be the badass guy, and then he dies, and then Van Damme's got to, you know, avenge the, 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 the death of a brother who doesn't have the accent that he has for reasons that are never explained <laughs> in the movie. So, so you know, I talk like I'm from Belgium. He talks like he's born in America. We're a little bit like uh, Christopher Nolan and his brother. We were raised by different mother, different mother and father. Uh, Don't stop it. So, anyway... Um, Dennis Alexio, for those who don't know, he's only in the original Kickboxer for a minute before he dies. But Dennis Alexio may be the single most skilled martial artist ever to appear in a movie anywhere. Mm. Maybe with the exception of Bruce Lee. If you go go onto YouTube, YouTube and look up Dennis Alexio's full contact Muay Thai fights, mm. he is a monster. He murders people. <laughs> he it is unbelievable. He comes out and he just lays into some of the best fighters ever to walk into the ring, and he lays them flat in about fifteen seconds. Mm. That man was lethal. 
It is unbelievable. So Dennis Alexio, don't cut him. Don't 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 sell sell him short. Cut him some slack. This guy's good. This guy's good. But Dennis Alexio, the original kickboxer, is still the best. Uh, I have here an interesting uh, movie to me personally for a couple of reasons. Forever yeah. My Girl, cute little movie. Alex Rowe. Uh, it's a good Jessica little movie. Rothy. It's a cute little movie yeah. uh, that didn't. Uh, you know, uh, some people might put it in the in the in the realm of those faith based films. I didn't think so though. Not I mean, I mean, it, it, it is tiny, but it's but it's relevant. And frankly, you would have this much religion mention of religion, notion of religion yeah. in any given movie, yeah, uh, or television show. Uh, so I don't know why you would stick this one in that particular box. But nevertheless, it's okay with me. Yeah. Lovely little movie. Um, it's about uh, a young man who's about to pop as a as, as a pop star. He has his girlfriend, um, uh, and they're going to get married, and the whole thing looks great. But he he goes away, and he does in fact become this gigantic pop star, and he never talks to her for Le- about leaves, seven years. Leaves her cold. Leaves her cold. The whole family behind. All behind. And he, he becomes when the movie really picks up. He's already a star. One of their friends from high school, it's some several years later, about seven years later, uh, has passed away, and he has to, for the very first time since he just flat out walked away from his wife, uh, life and his girlfriend and all of that, go home and deal with what he did. Um, now, look, I'm not, it's not giving anything away to say that when he gets home, that old girlfriend uh, has a little kid that's about yeah. the exact <laughs> one of those, right? Um, the, 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 a lot, there's a lot that I like about this movie, including the performances. This kid can sing and perform, and yeah. those songs are lovely, and these are lovely performances, and I love that little girl, and it's just a neat little movie. Now, here's the personal bit for me with this movie. This movie was directed by a woman named uh, Bethany Ashton, yeah. uh, whose name now is Bethany Ashton Wolf. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I saw that, I was like, Bethany Ashton Wolf. And I went and looked, and I found her. And Bethany Ashton, her debut film as a feature film director was a film called First and Last, in which my wife was the co-star. No kidding. With Bethany Ashton. Yes, she was. It, it was like a Friends sort of. This is 1997. It's not like a Friends kind of like, but it's a movie. Oh, that's All great. these people live in a house. And Bridget was the co-star with Bethany in that movie. And Bethany put Bridget in everything she ever did. She directed a whole bunch of plays and short films and all of this. No kidding. And they became friends. And Bethany's like, anything I do, you're going to be in. Anyway, so to Bethany Ashton Wolf, uh, 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 you know, good work. I'm glad to see you're still in it. Good. That's pretty great. Neat. That is pretty great. I uh, got 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 some just DVDs here, and the first one is uh, it, it it's a rather unusual movie. It's called "Are We N- uh, Not Cats?" And um, it, this is really I it I want to call this oh I don't I don't know if I want to call this a horror film, even though it is rather horrifying. Uh, this is from the the very fringy people over at uh, Cleopatra Entertainment, released by MVD. Um, but he, here's the thing: you got a guy whose life is really, really messed up. He's lost his job. He's he's been evicted. He's he's lost his girlfriend. The whole thing. Um, and uh, he becomes a truck driver, and meets a woman. Who, um, let's see, how do I put this? Um. He and the woman both have the same uh, obsessive fetish, which is they like to pull out their hair mm-hmm. and eat it. Ooh, there's got to be a scientific name for that. I'm almost sure. Yeah. In if any you case, know the scientific name for that phenomena, send us an email at I don't yeah, know. It, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it is, but in any case, it is. Uh, it, 
I can't say that this is fun to watch. It has an audio commentary I just did not want to listen to. So if you listen to the audio commentary and you tell me it's worth listening to, maybe I'll revisit. But uh, it just the the concept. You, there's a lot of fast forwarding that goes on. <laughs> I'll just say that. Uh, then we also have uh, Tiana Taylor and Brashear Gray in Honey Rise Up and Dance. This is uh, is this only the second Honey film, or have uh, there been others? No, that, that's the, the two Honey films. I'm, 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 I was uh, confabulating them in my head with those step-up films. Step-up, because it's all part of the it's same part of the world. Same, yeah, yeah, yeah. Part right, of the same urban those, dance yeah. thing, yeah. So, uh, anyway, the only reason this film exists is, is for dancing. Yeah, that's it. Which you is know? good, by the way, in those films. Oh, yeah. it's terrific. Yeah. It's terrific. Uh, I mean, this is this is kind of like the the dance equivalent to uh, the acapella singing yeah. stuff that you <laughs> yeah, pitch, those yeah, Pitch Perfect movies. In the Pitch Perfect movies, you're that you're, you're going to those for the singing. You're looking at this for the dancing, and then, and you know the the plot is completely. They'll make up a reason to make people dance. They, they just will. Uh, here you're competing for a scholarship and there's a whole thing. Forget about it. You're just watching. You're just watching some really, really talented kids just put on some great clothes and, and just dance. And there's some great dancing here. Uh, and this includes movies anywhere uh, code, so you can add that uh, fancy little bit of dancing to your digital locker. Uh, the Tribes of Palo Verde, which is a neat little movie uh, uh, the, with Jennifer. Uh, Gardner in it, uh, Malika Monroe. A neat little move. Family moves to Palos Verdes, a little surfing yeah. community. Uh, and the surfing communities can be, you know, intense uh, yeah. if for, for outsiders come there. They have a, a daughter and a son. The daughter is a bit of an outsider, kind of a freaky little girl uh, who doesn't make friends. Well, the son, he's one of those guys, you know, can always make friends with anybody. Anyway, the daughter, uh, they both sort of like take up surfing. The daughter turns out to be really good at it, but they have to do that thing uh, where they have to, you know, be respected and make their way. And then it's it's kind of a neat movie. What I like most about it is Jennifer Gardner's character. Jennifer uh, decides that she's not taking any crap when it comes to her kids in this movie. Uh, and, uh, and I like the way she moms up. Yeah, uh, yeah, she moms up real, real big. Uh, which she's been doing that for a while, yeah. playing really serious moms. Yeah, you know, and I, and, like I, and I think that something about her life. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> taught we know her, that. You know what? You got to yeah. mom the hell up. Uh, Tribes of Palo Verde. Got a couple from Film Movement here. Uh, both of them really, really good. Film Movement keeps coming up with some really interesting stuff. So, uh, Jasper Jones is an Australian film by Rachel Perkins. Based on a novel uh, that apparently was a, was a big deal, uh, and the it's a it's a really interesting period mystery uh, kind of coming of age thing. They they it's been compared, I think, legitimately to uh, Stand by Me. They even put the, the that quote on the uh, on the cover here. Um, but it's also different. It takes place in 1969, and uh, it's about a a you know in a small Australian town. This 14 year old kid who goes with this other kid to resolve a mystery. And I, I, I'll, I'll give you nothing else for, on it, but it is a, it's a really, really interesting character piece. The acting is terrific. The writing is really sharp. And where it goes is completely unexpected. And yet, at the same time, totally perfect. And I don't know who Rachel Perkins is. I am unfamiliar with her, mm -hmm. any of her work. But what a talented director. And I, I hope that that... that career blossoms and blooms. She is just really terrific. And then, uh, based on the novel by E. Nesbitt, The Railway Children was a, uh, a stage production that gets uh, a really interesting DVD release here that is still very, uh, it's still very stagey, but it's a, it's a really, really charming, uh, it's a charming story. It's about these, uh, it's a, I, I don't want to compare it to the, um, 
what's what's the, the the Christmas thing, the Zemeckis thing? Uh, the oh, uh, uh, Polar Express. Polar with Express. The dead eyes. The dead eyes. Yeah, I don't want to compare it to that because this is live action and that yeah. was mocap and all that. But they the idea the 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 sort of um, the magical train based metaphor that's going on here is probably in some respects similar. Uh, and a little bit of Mary Poppins as well. I think you could probably fold into this. Um, this is about uh, these three kids, uh, these three siblings, whose father goes to, to prison, and uh, that forces them and their mother to uh, move to this little rural part of uh, Yorkshire, away from their beloved London. And um, the uh, then there's this train, and this porter on the train... And then it goes, and it becomes very kind of lion, witch, and wardrobe very Mary Poppinsy at that point. It mm. uh, it takes a really interesting. So I think this is charming. I would like to see this done, perhaps as a bigger budget thing, you know, like a really give it the studio treatment. But yeah. that said, it's still a sweet story, and it's very nicely done. This uh, this movie here, Mohawk, which stars an uh, an actual Mohawk uh, Native American Mohawk young yeah. woman whose name is extremely difficult to pronounce. I think it's Cantinthio K A N I E. Yeah, Horn is her last name. Um, oh my goodness! Uh, and she was in, she was in a she was, she's been in a couple of neat little movies. Cantinthio. Because I'm they have guess. those they have those sort of eh, ooh, ah, oh, sort of yeah. uh, uh, where you where you you, you yeah. pause and you and, and yeah. It, so it's right there, and I apologize to the young actress uh, for mutilating her name. Not that I don't mutilate not a lot of names <laughs> so about it, so don't don't be too upset, sis. Because what I'm going to say about you is you are one hell of an uh, just really yeah. this this young actress is insanely good. This is a very good movie. I put this movie probably right up in terms of movies about the old west and native yeah. uh, uh, culture um, uh, and, and those conflicts right up there next to Hostiles. Uh, the from last year uh, out of entertainment studios over there with Christian Bale and all of that. So if you liked Hostiles, which is a, a much higher profile movie than this, I think that you would like this. Uh, the director of this movie also directed a movie called We're Still Here, which is a very good movie. Now, this is the theme of this movie, War of 1812. Um, uh, uh, some, some American soldiers uh, 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 burned down uh, the village of this uh, young Mohawk woman. Uh, a couple of young men from her village uh, who survived that take vengeance out on those soldiers and burn their thing down. Wow. Uh, uh, some renegade soldiers decide they're just going to come after the, what, what are really only three of these, this particular uh, uh, village left. It includes this young lady... Uh, a, a Mohawk young man and a young British man, right? Now, this is where this movie gets really intense. For one thing, uh, the the young lady and the two men are involved in an affair. It's like a whole yeah. three, but the, you know they're all they're all they're they're all in on it. She's running things, uh, which which actually is if you if you know about this particular culture, uh, makes total and complete sense. They the the women had the juju, uh, at, and, and the men knew that the women had the juju. Uh, uh, and uh, this movie gets so flat out crazy violent uh, uh, because, you know, again, it's one of those movies where they decide to come, where these soldiers decide to come after them in their forest, in their, you know, community. Bad idea. Uh, don't come after me in my house. Uh, and, uh, and this young woman is just amazing in this movie. It's really violent, uh, kind of devastating. Obviously, it's speaking to the dynamic of the culture 
of the time. You know, what was that's that's really what's going on, and that's really the point of all of this violence. It's a moment for the violence to be reversed, a sort of a, a little bighorn sort of yeah. situation. Uh, so anyway, I, I, I think I've talked it up enough <laughs> to get yeah. people to go see it. If you don't believe me, pop online and read some of the reviews. This is one of those situations where this is a movie. This is a movie you have never heard of. Uh, nice. that's, as, that, that's as good as or better than most of the movies that are, will be in theaters uh, over the next several weeks. Mohawk, really, really good. All right, I'm gonna. We got a bunch of documentaries that have uh, piled up over the last few weeks. I'm gonna plow through as many of them as I can before we get to uh, television and some classic movies and maybe even some foreign if we have a minute or two. Uh, Heartworn Highways Revisited is a really interesting doc. If you ever saw the original doc, Heartworn Highways. Uh, which was is goes all the way back into the 1970s. Yeah. Um, it, which was all about the outlaw country movement. This is this goes back to that. This basically looks at that entire scene from the point of view of contemporary musicians who were influenced by it, and uh, it's good. Really interesting. Not exactly my kind of music. You know, I'm not an outlaw country guy. But um, then again, I wasn't really a Grateful Dead fan, <laughs> yeah, and I sat through that thing that, for four yeah. hours and loved it. So good filmmaking will get me over a hump. And this is pretty well done. This was uh, made just uh, last year. And I'm, I don't really, I'm not familiar with any of the people in it, and uh, I'm not particularly interested in the music they're playing, but their stories and their inspirations and their whole scene is, is, is very interesting. Uh, the Last Religion, The Antichrist Singularity and the Great Deception. Um, this is a. This is presumably. Uh, I think this is a little more academic than it really needs to be. But uh, this is basically. This takes a whole bunch of theologians and puts them together and has them uh, analyze the Book of Revelation and the whole concept of the last days. It is. Um, there are some people here that I'm familiar with, like Hal Lindsey, obviously, and Tim LaHaye. You know, these are people that you're, you you will have heard related to kind of a, a certain part of the evangelical movement. Some of these other people I've never heard of. I find uh, all of this interesting, but it is not exactly. Um, it's it, it, this is this is very much from the point of view of we're going to try to put together an argument for um, sort of evangelical paranoia yeah. that will persuade the younger generation, and it's uh, it's a bit of propaganda. Uh, there's some interesting stuff here, but it would be nice to get you know a different perspective, not even necessarily an atheistic perspective, just yeah. somebody that says I'm a mainline Christian and I don't really believe any of this stuff, or I have a different take on it. That would have made this a more interesting yeah from thing. within side. As a matter of fact, what you do not want is an atheistic pr perspective. Yeah, right? maybe agnostic, but not because something that's a different that, thing. Something you want more somebody, scholarly. Yeah, somebody somebody who's I live in the same world as you. Yeah, uh, and you're goofy. <laughs> and, 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 I mean, you know, I, I and I always try to be fair to these things, but I, you know, I was a history major before I was a film major, and I was a history major with an emphasis on, uh, you know, certain. Uh, I, I took all those sort of religious history courses, and it, it, you know, the Reformation and yeah. the the environment of the New Testament and all that stuff, and so I have a, a pretty good working knowledge of a, a lot of that stuff, and it, I, I like for things to be certainly historically uh, factual. Um, Heart of Sky, Heart of Earth is a rather devastating documentary. This has been uh, celebrated all over the globe. And uh, it is assuming that, the, that, the, that what is represented here is as nearly apocalyptic as presented. Uh, it's very, very depressing. Um, the, this was shot in a, a, a 
mainly in Guatemala and surrounding countries. And the, it's, a, it's the a perspective of a modern-day Maya or the descendants of the Maya. It is their perspective uh, based on their traditions and their, uh, the stories that have been handed down to them and their cultural narrative uh, on what is happening to the earth and to the, their culture and to the uh, environment that they always revered. And um, it is very much their point of view. This is not objective, but it's not a polemic either. It's not a political film. It basically says these people and their ancestors had this stewardship, and they feel that it's slipping away. And it's done in a really interesting style. It's really, uh, it, it's really, really very creative filmmaking and very artful filmmaking. And uh, it has won a number of awards and it's been at all over festivals, pretty especially in Central and South America. It's called Heart of Sky, Heart of Earth. It is, uh, it's really worth a look. Mm. And then I'll let me go through the rest of these pretty quickly. Uh, Killing for Love, a true story, using the voices of Imogen Poots and Daniel Bruhl to detail uh, a really, really haunting story that took place in 1985 when uh, this couple was found murdered in Virginia in their home. And uh, the, 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 all the signs eventually pointed to their daughter mm. and her German boyfriend. And it's a horrifying story. It's really upsetting, but it's told in a very, very artful way. Uh, in Killing for Love, and again, great, great uh, voiceover work with Imogen Poots and Daniel Bruhl, who sort of give rise to exactly how this horrible thing happened. Um, Boston documentary, narrated by Matt Damon. Uh, Matt Damon. I almost feel like I can't say his name <laughs> unless I say it Team America style. Uh, this is all about the Boston Marathon, and uh, which of course has been tainted a little bit in recent years since the uh, the bombing. But uh, this is a, this is a, a, not about the bombing. This is about the marathon itself, and and it's just wonderful and prestigious history. It's a really really nice documentary. Frank Marshall was one of the producers on this, ah. and it has a uh, it has a really really beautiful score by Jeff Beale in particular. That's just really wonderful. And this is from First Run Features. Uh, highly recommended, especially if you're you know a fan of the marathon. But even if you aren't, you'll you'll still love it. Uh, the Weight of Honor, Stories of Families After War. This won the Audience Award that's at the uh, San Antonio Film Festival. And uh, it's exactly what you would expect it to be. This is about 9-11 um, you know, veterans and their caregivers and how they try to put their lives together in, in the wake of uh, you know, being, being, having your lives torn apart. Um, it's, it, it's, it's inspiring. It's upsetting. But most of all, it's inspiring. Uh, directed by Stephanie Selden Howard. Uh, it's a very, very touching film. And uh, let me throw a couple more in here. Uh, let's see. Shadow Man from Film Movement by Oren Jacoby uh, is all about uh, Richard Hamilton, who in the 1980s was this kind of renegade underground uh, artist who was part of the same scene as Basquiat and Keith Haring, and uh, you know, but didn't become as famous as as his colleagues. But he, you, if you've seen any of the Shadow Man painting, you know, on subways and on walls, and you know, in any of the places in New York from that period, you will immediately recognize it. It was just, it's haunting and it's unmistakable, and it's not like it's you know, Basquiat and Haring at least yeah. did things that sort of captured your imagination. 
Um, what Hamilton did haunted you. Nah. It got inside <laughs> your nightmares. More Hieronymus and, Bosch than oh yeah, much Yacht. much yeah, definitely. And 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 a lot of it was about he you know his his own personal struggles with heroin and everything else. Um, but uh, it's a uh, anyway. It's a very, very interesting uh, documentary about you know a very, very unique artist who hasn't necessarily gotten the same attention as some of the others of yeah. his generation. And then uh, Architects of Denial, uh, boy, this is—I don't—I don't mean to be really super depressing, but um, <laughs> this is uh, basically a look at the. Um, it is. It's. It deals with the the denial of the Armenian genocide yeah. to this very, very day. And uh, what goes on, particularly in Turkey, but in other parts of Central Asia, and how the denial of that event resonates in the ripple effects that take it to this day, and what it has enabled certain bad actors in the world to do with impunity, and we see that still in Syria, mm -hmm. you know. So these things are uh, are very very upsetting, but it is um, it's really worth looking at watching because mostly the Armenian genocide movies, the fictional films, have not done a very good job no. of creating attention for that incident, but. The, the Ottoman uh, lieutenant, most recently, I think, is one. That but yeah, yeah. documentaries are is it's where that good. lives. Yeah. So yeah, so Architects of Denial definitely worth looking at. All right, let's do some TV. Uh, Mystery Science Theater three thousand, the eleventh season, of course, um, it, which is uh, the, the the new series. Yeah. So it's like season one of the eleventh season. This is on Blu-ray. Uh, on Blu-ray, yeah. This is the first so time on Blu-ray. The, the, the new stuff with, uh, with of course, Pat Oswalt now. Yeah. Uh, taking the place of Joel Hodgman, who created the series. And, of course, you remember the wonderful Mystery Science Theater 3000, yeah. taking all those old public domain movies and yeah. putting them in this little gizmonic uh, world on the other side of the moon with yep. all of these blah, 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 whatever. It was funny. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I liked it quite a lot. Pat Oswalt, perfect choice. Yeah. To sort of pick up uh, the mantle and walk off with all of that. Still goofy, still funny. Uh, the movies behind uh, the, them are still absolutely outrageous. This includes 14 episodes, 14 of the new episodes. Felicia Day, Pat Noswell, Jonah Ray, Jonah Ray, Byron Vaughn, who played uh, Servo, the voice of uh, oh, Byron yeah. Vaughn, who played Servo. <laughs> I know Byron. Uh, and, and, uh, and Rebecca Hansen. Uh, that original series, Mystery Science Theater 3, the original, 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 believe it or not, that premiered in 1988. No kidding. Yes. Wow. Anyway, it's uh, hung around, uh, went away for a while, came back, and it's the 11th season, and now we go again. Wow. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, right? That's... Uh, I know. Um, uh, Claws. I just want to mention this one because I yep. love it. Niecy Nash's series, Claws, uh, set in a, uh, a fingernail salon in the Valley... Uh, which you know, if you live here, this is a thing. I think I think of the San Fernando Valley in in, in parts of Jersey uh, are are the most uh, most important places for that kind of thing. This is just a, a really neat, outrageous, just uh, and um, I don't know. It, 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 it's 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 in Florida. It's nuts. It's hot. It's steamy. It's sexy. These women are completely goofy. Uh, yet they are involved in some really, really serious stuff. It gets treacherous. It involves the mafia, crime bosses, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it, when, I, when this show first popped up, I had no idea it was going to be this much fun. To me, this is as fun as anything that's on television. Claws. Nisi Nash. And then uh, from Acorn TV, we have something really cool called The Accident. Uh, this is really actually incredibly well written. So... Here's the story. Uh, Bruno Solo, uh, who's a really, really good, uh, good actor. Bruno Solo 
uh, is a guy who lives with his family, his wife and his daughter in in Brittany in France. And um, one day his wife dies in an auto accident, mm. but nothing makes sense. Yeah. And then they they basically the, the officials come up they come up with a really ridiculous explanation for it, and they kind of you know try to to, to brush it off. And uh, he he decides he's gonna you know do what every good self respecting uh, movie hero does. He's gonna launch his own investigation. Yeah, find out what the hell happened to my wife. That's but, it. Because it, it really is a nice setup though, because it, uh, it looks like just a thing. There's a yeah. little strange, and then. Um, uh, uh, they, they find this bottle of vodka. She didn't drink. Yeah. We know that. We've been watching. Yeah. We, we know that the car is facing the wrong way. It's a whole bunch of stuff that's it's going interesting. on. And uh, and I love him because he is a man on a rampage. Yep. You know, and he's not buying none of this crap. Yeah. Uh, and it's really really good. It's good. It's very good. So that's the accident from Acorn TV. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, let's talk about some uh, some classic movies here and see if uh, maybe we might get to a, a little a foreigner foreign film or two. Um, uh, I got four from the Warner Archive collection. Three on Blu-ray, one on DVD. I'll give you the DVD straight up, DVD-R. This is uh, Hotel Berlin, yeah. which is, um, you know, n- not the... Hotel Berlin is is an, is what I like to call kind of like a historical artifact. It, yeah. is, it is more interesting for who did it and who's, who's in it and what it represents contextually in the time. Than it is necessarily for the film because it doesn't it doesn't date very well. It's kind of propaganda ish. It was made right at the end of the war, nineteen forty five. It's sort of uh, like second tier Casablanca in some respects. Um, you know, it's all kind about of movie where Peter Lorre is like the fifth man down. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it, but it's a great cast: Peter Lorre, Raymond Massey. Uh, you know, Andrea King is is really wonderful in it. And it has a fantastic Franz Waxman score. I don't think Waxman ever wrote a bad score, so that that distinguishes it to uh, to some degree. Um, otherwise, you know, it's uh, all the kind of World War II spy shenanigans and theatrics in it. Uh, it, it it you know it it feels a little bit almost as though it, I don't want to say it trivializes anything related to the war. It just doesn't hit it as hard as we hit it now in hindsight. You know, it was right at that moment when you didn't have quite as much perspective. But, again, as a historical artifact, it is, it is an interesting film. Uh, the three on Blu-ray are all really terrific, absolutely terrific ones. They all are historically really, really significant. And I just, I'm so impressed by the way that the, uh, the Warner Archive keeps kind of finding these, these great little gems um, the uh, the first one is uh, a stop motion classic. It is the Black Scorpion. Yeah, this is one of the all time great great uh, stop motion masterpieces. That scorpion is animated to the ends of the earth. Uh, yeah, it's a giant scorpion. It's a movie about a giant scorpion. I don't care what the plot is. It's a stop motion animated giant scorpion, and they worked their butts off. Uh, it is just really, 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 really impressive, and uh. You could just, I mean, you know, fast forward from one section to the next, just watch the scorpion. Forget about the story. <laughs> the scorpion is really great. Uh, the others involved in this film, not really distinguished people for any great reason. Edward Ludwig, who directed it, not, you know, anyone whose name you're necessarily going to remember. Uh, but boy, I'll tell you, the animation of that scorpion is tremendous. Uh, Beyond a Reasonable Doubt with Dana Andrews and Joan Fontaine is a, a really, really gr- great uh, noir. It's a distinguished noir. It was directed by Fritz Lang. It was one of his American Hollywood films. So he brings, obviously, the expressionistic impulse that inspired noir to this and really really gives it kind of a high art gloss. It's, uh, 
it, the, it's Hitchcockian in some respects, the idea of, you know, uh, these ordinary people caught in this, in this web of events. Um, but it, it's still, it's really, really slick. It's, it's unheralded. Fritz Long did a lot of good work here on, on <coughs> excuse me. Uh, Fritz Long did a lot of good work here, and uh, this is one of the best ones made for RKO back in the day. And then uh, the last one might be my favorite of all of these, also with Dana Andrews. Uh, this is While the City Sleeps. Unbelievable all-star cast in this thing. Uh, Dana Andrews, Rhonda Fleming, who would go on to marry Ted Mann of Man Theater fame. I met them many times when I worked at Man Theaters. Uh, George Sanders, Vincent Price, Howard Duff. Ida Lupino, really, really a terrific bunch of people. Ida Lupino is so good in this thing. It's just really wonderful to watch. This also directed by Fritz Long from the uh, exact same period. And uh, this is an even better crime film. It's not, uh, it's not as Hitchcockian, but it, uh, it is much more in his, in his vein. You know, it's kind of going back to the, his roots with M and things like that. Um, dealing with the, the lipstick killer. Who's going to catch the lipstick killer? It's really, really a lot of fun. It's very well written. The screenplay by Casey Robinson is just absolutely terrific. And uh, Vincent Price is at his level best. An absolutely delightful film. While the City Sleeps. Wow. Um, uh, the, this film here, uh, uh, Roger Donaldson's Sleeping Dogs, yeah, which gave us Sam Neill. Uh, 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 it more or less kickstarted the whole uh, uh, new wave uh, yeah. down on the new wave from down on New Zealand Aussie new wave. Uh, this film was really it was a revenge film uh, to, a, to a certain extent, but basically what it involved is Warren Oates in this film. Uh, Sam Sam Neill is this guy. He's kind of like a recluse with these lefty solid gorillas, just government, mm -hmm. and he gets drawn into this thing. He doesn't really want to have anything to do with any of them, but he ends up looking like a gorilla, and he looks like he did. Yeah, so he has to uh, you get a gun and do his thing. That kind of movie. I think this yeah. film was about nineteen. 1977, yeah. yeah. I thought it was early, but 1977, it, that kind of movie, this this movie launched that whole sort of thing, yeah. that Australian outback with the man with a gun and all that kind of stuff. It, neat, neat, neat stuff. Roger Donaldson, of course, uh, uh, all kinds of fantastic movies <coughs> that he went on to make. <clears throat> this is full of all kinds of special edition content. This is a special edition. Uh, it, it, the, the film itself, it's a high-definition Blu-ray presentation. Uh, this is the best that this film has ever looked uh, in, in more than 40 years. And, and there is also a 65-minute retrospective documentary uh, uh, about this film's production and the whole new wave and Roger Donaldson and what he's been doing. It's great. Uh, just yeah. good, good stuff. Uh, Kino went and got a couple of really cool old artifactual Western-ish movies. I say Western-ish because they are... They're not really Westerns. They're singing cowboy movies. Singing cowboy is like a genre of the Western. Uh, but they these are these are from the Paramount Library. They've been remastered and scanned in 4K and given a whole a whole new sterling look from the original nitrate ma uh, uh, negatives. Um, uh, the first one uh, they're uh, and they're and they're both the same genre, I should point out. But the uh, the first one is uh, Trigger Junior. Yeah, Trigger Junior. Uh, within no other than uh, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. 
Uh, now, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, if you don't know the whole singing cowboy genre, you have to understand that this is this is something that is very specific to the United States. Yeah. It included, you know, Gene Autry and a few others. And uh, I don't know where it began, but the idea that you have, like, you know, cowboys that break out into song and... Singing cowboys. I don't know. It's it's always been a strange thing to me, and I've never particularly liked any of these movies. But there is, again, kind of an artifactual sheen to them where you watch it and you just think, okay, well, I get it. Uh, Trigger, Trigger, of course, is his horse. And Trigger Jr., well, it filled, you know, you can do the, do the math yourself. You're really watching this just because of the, uh, the stars. Roy Rogers and Dale Evans are quite charming. And then the other film is uh, a, a less-known singing cowboy, Vaughn Monroe. The name, and, and, they, and they put Walter Brennan in this thing just so that they have some Western cred, yeah. right? Somebody who's an actual, you know, who, who actually can kind of hold down the period and convince you. Vaughn Monroe has completely disappeared from the, uh, uh, from the, uh, the, the, the landscape. Nobody remembers him. He's, you know, the singing cowboy that has been completely forgotten. But this is just such a weird movie. Uh, made by Republic, who of course made all of these uh, all these westerns at the time. They made you know Trigger Junior as well. Uh, Vaughn Monroe has a lovely voice, but he's just he can't act, man. No. He can't act. Uh, and there's no other reason to watch this other than his singing. When he's not singing, you might as well just turn it off. It's uh, it's very very silly. And then you know they it has a whole romance with a saloon girl and a whole bunch of other stuff going on. Uh, nothing much interesting there. These films, if you are a fan of the genre, uh, are both on Blu-ray from Kino, and they both have audio commentary by Toby Roan, uh, who may, whose name may be known to you because of the Roan Group, which has done a lot of archival stuff in the past. Mm. So, interesting audio commentary. Um, I just have this one uh, lovely Criterion collection of The Awful Truth here. Uh, the Awful Truth being the film that gave us uh, Cary Grant in that very particular Top Hat and Tails yeah. persona. This yeah. is the film that that came. Irene yeah. Dunn, Cary Grant. Uh, uh, and uh, the, uh, Leo McCary film. And, and, and obviously, you know, slapstick and sort of improvisation and that sort of fast talking. That was, this is about 1937 or so. Uh, yeah, 1937. Yeah. And, um, and, and aside from giving us Cary and, and Irene Dunn, the, the neat thing about this movie is uh, the awful truth in it. Mm-hmm. Is that they're in love? <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. It's great stuff. Good. And uh, lastly, before we head out, I want to make a mention of a book called Buster Keaton in His Own Time. Um, this is from film historian Wes Gearing, who is a uh, professor of film at Ball State. And uh, he's gone back and basically compiled a book based on what critics from the 1920s said about Buster Keaton. And it's really interesting. It's a, it's a, 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 a if you're if you're a fan of silent cinema, and he is, you know, Gehring is is a scholar of silent cinema and the period. Uh, you'll find it really fascinating, especially as a critic looking at this. I was like, makes me wonder, you know, shouldn't I go back and reevaluate some of the things I said at the time? And you think some of these critics would probably want to go back and revisit some of the things they said, both yeah. positive and negative. Yeah. It's a really interesting book. It's worth checking out, especially if you're a Keaton fan. Buster Keaton. In His Own Time by Wes D. Gearing. Uh, and that is from McFarland is the publisher. And you can go to uh, McFarlandPub.com or, uh, or you can order it online at, uh, you know, the phone number that you find there. So McFarlandPub.com for Buster Keaton in His Own Time. See you guys next week. Yeah, yeah.
Have you ever? Have you? Ever, was you or Mark that had the great crazy Ken Russell story? Oh yeah, was we've that, told it on this show you've before. Told, okay, good. We've told it before. We'll <laughs> we'll lay off. Anyway, that is it for this week. We'll see you guys next week. Send us emails with Croft for the Lara Croft Tomb Raider 4K giveaway in the subject line. Get it to us by the 30th. And Damon, D-A-M-O-N, to win one of the two 4K packs for downsizing to godsatdigigods.com or godsatcinegods.com by the 30th. See you next week.